What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Buffalo Beat, a rare July edition of the show. Uh, we're powering through while Joe Biscali is on vacation. We're going to continue with our, our training camp previews and discussing the bills. And we've brought in, uh, I would consider him a very special guest. Um, I don't want to call him an upgrade over Joe, but I'll let the listeners decide. We've got the Athletics National NFL writer, Shiel Kapadia, on with us. Shiel, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, of course. I wasn't sure if you were going to go like special guest or heavy hitter or, um, you know, anything else that could really flatter me, but uh, I will take it and happy to be here. Yeah, as I, as I referenced um, when I tweeted out your, your 10 things, a football nerd's guide to the 2020 Buffalo Bills, I would consider you our resident king of the football nerds um and i mean that in the best way possible yeah no i I appreciate that i am doing these team by team guides and i I find that there's sort of uh two factions of readers the first faction they really like it they love the scheme stuff the analytical stuff and uh they're all about it i feel like the bills fans uh, most of them were appreciative of of it and you know the the other faction it'll uh, really, if you're having trouble falling asleep or have a young child or something who's having sleep issues, you, you read some of these paragraphs. And uh, if you're not caffeinated, you'll be out within, I would say, three to five minutes. So uh, it really can serve multiple purposes. A great ringing endorsement. <laughs> uh, you did manage to, you know, these are two topics. Uh, really, when you talk about analytics, the word analytics, and as much as you wrote about Josh Allen in those analytics, you blend those two and you're usually going to trigger Bills fans, but I think you found the rare balance where most people thought you, you know, you were pretty fair. Usually the analytics crowd doesn't have a high opinion of Josh Allen and and people around here are pretty sensitive about about how he's covered and how he's viewed nationally, but I feel like uh, you struck the right chord on probably the most or one of the most polarizing quarterbacks in in the league. Well, listen, if Bills fans want to make me like the official uh, national writer of their fan base, uh, I would certainly be honored. But no, I tried to. I would probably say I'm a little bit yeah higher on Josh Allen than maybe a lot of the uh, what the national perspective might be. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to um, expectations, how much you think a guy can uh, improve at this point in his career, and then how much maybe you think supporting cast matters. And also, how good do you think sort of a quarterback needs to be to reach the Super Bowl. You know, you look at kind of the past couple of years here, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo got there last year. Um, you know, Jared Goff the year before, of course, Nick Foles won it, even though he wasn't the starter of the whole season in 2017. So, um, you know, I, I just think there are different ways to sort of build a team. Uh, you're not, you know, you don't have to be the perfect quarterback. What are your strengths and weaknesses? And uh, can those things work? So that's kind of how I try to approach uh, the Bills piece and the Josh Allen analysis. Yeah, Josh Allen certainly challenges the way people think about the quarterback position in a lot of ways because you look at some of these raw numbers and um, you know most of the the newer stats that you use to analyze quarterbacks, whether it's adjusted net yards per attempt or DVOA or um, expected points added, he's not really gonna you know grade out too well as a passer. Uh, his completion percentage isn't very good. Pro Football Focus doesn't like him very much. 
but the Bills won 10 games. He's really good as a runner. Uh, you can see all the tools. Um, I, I guess how has your your thought on Josh Allen evolved as you've watched him play now as you've, uh, for those who don't know, our listeners, uh, Shale used to cover the Eagles um, exclusively uh, and shifted into a national role. So um, a lot of people like to compare him to Carson Wentz um, and hope that he can become that type of guy, not totally dissimilar, but how has your, your view of Josh Allen evolved as you've, you know, had to kind of broaden your, uh, your view of, uh, of football and pay a little bit more attention and, and see him develop a, a, the way that he has the last couple of years. Yeah. I think there's a few things that really stand out with him. And like, number one is he's never going to be, you know, ranking in the top 10 in terms of accuracy, completion percentage, whatever uh, metrics you want to look at. I mean, it it would take some sort of, uh, you know, it, it would be a leap that you just don't kind of see quarterbacks take at this level in terms of accuracy. So I think you have to sort of start there and say, okay, if that's not going to be the case, then how can he be successful? And, you know, one thing was you mentioned the run game and you know, I think he probably doesn't get enough credit uh, for how effective he was as a runner had 510 rushing yards last year, but you know, there's this metric um, expected points added. You, you might see EPA and it's basically, you know, basically the concept is uh, you know, a three yard run or let's say a two yard run on uh, third and two. Well, that's a lot harder to achieve and that's a success rather than a two yard run on, let's say uh, first and 10, which you would probably be disappointed by. So that's sort of the basis of it. Um, and you know, you can look more into it if you're worried about sort of how it gets put together. But the bottom line is um, he produced a positive result on about 57% of his carries last year, which that was the top rate among any player in the NFL, um, you know, kind of with a baseline of 75 attempts. So uh, he was a really, really effective runner last year. And that's just an aspect, you know, unless you're the Baltimore Ravens or maybe uh, two or three other teams, you're not getting that from your quarterback. So uh, that's something that certainly needs to get taken into account, which uh, a lot of those passing metrics, I think, uh, other than QBR really uh, are not going to take into account. And then with the passing game, you know, like I said, he, I don't think he's ever going to be the most efficient or accurate guy, but you kind of look at it, well, where can he improve? And when you look at sort of the, um, you know, the downfield passing, I, I feel like there's probably been about 400 things written about it uh, this offseason. But if that's an area where he can uh, improve a little bit and maybe get to mediocre or slightly below average, well, then all of a sudden you kind of have an interesting foundation where he's helping you in the run game. If he can cut down on the turnovers, the fumbles a little bit, and if he can be more effective in the downfield passing game, uh, you know, I, I don't know what that looks like and sort of an all-encompassing quarterback would that make him like the uh, 12th best quarterback in the NFL the 15th in that range well you know that might be good enough to get the bills to an AFC championship game or uh, to a Super Bowl so uh, those were just some of the things uh, I looked at I think with the downfield passing you know a couple things I think one is that the bills dropped more passes on sort of a percentage basis than any team in the NFL last year. So that was one thing that worked against him where you would think uh, would come back to the pack a little bit, which would help his numbers. And I think the other thing just anecdotally that hurts him is that like when, when Josh Allen misses, it becomes like a, a clip on um, Twitter and it gets passed around. And like, there are some really bad, ugly misses and, you know, everybody or people will make fun of him and say, wow, what was he thinking here? Uh, and so I think that kind of hurts him, you know, where like the, whereas if you miss by, um, you know, two feet or whether you miss by eight feet, 
I don't know that it matters that much, but it's sort of, you know, in kind of the eye of the observer, uh, will get you, uh, you'll, you'll get dinged a little bit more than the other guy. So th- those, I guess uh, I was rambling, but those are a bunch of my thoughts when I did this piece, uh, on Josh Allen. Yeah. You know, and there's also some of those deep balls where he will, overthrow it or throw it you know more towards the sideline as kind of a safe move you know certainly some of them are just accuracy issues but some are you know he has the arm to even if it's 40 yards downfield still put it farther knowing that it's not a catchable ball and uh you're right that you know i think the um you know some of his receivers let him down at times they didn't bail him out uh, i guess is is where um, I would fall on it. There were times he could have done better, times they could have done better. And one or two of those a game boosts your yardage. It flips the field. Uh, the deep passing game can be a, a huge game changer and something that was basically completely missing. And yet he still had uh, a somewhat effective season, a step forward, and uh, something that, that people are pretty excited about. The one thing people are, are hopeful uh, will be a game changer, especially in that that deep passing area is the addition of Stefan Diggs. And when you were digging into Diggs and, and this team, um, how do you feel like those guys match up? I know Stefan Diggs is, you know, he's had times in the past where he's gotten frustrated with his quarterbacks and, um, you know, different things like that. But he's an electric player down the field. He's great after the catch. Uh I guess it's a matter of whether Josh Allen can get the ball to him, but what do you think the the impact Stephon Diggs will have on this offense? Yeah, I think what you said there is absolutely right. I mean, I can certainly envision a scenario where uh, if Josh Allen overthrows him or is off target or if he's not getting the looks he wanted, that Diggs gets frustrated and those things kind of get take over. And, and so I think it's sort of like a high risk, high reward move. I mean, there is a scenario where it just kind of blows up and it's like, you know, it, you're eight weeks in and thinking, man, this trade turned out to be a disaster. But I think there is absolutely another aspect of it. You know, I, I look at this offense – and I just feel like they've, I don't think they could have done much of a much better job of putting Allen in position to succeed for this season. When you look at the offensive line, a good offensive line returning, you should have a, a good running game. Uh, John Brown, I, I think, is one of the more underrated receivers in the NFL. He played really well last year. Uh, Cole Beasley was was fine in the slot. Dawson Knox, you would expect to improve. And then Diggs, I mean, he, he's a game changer. He's one of the best, I would say, definitely top 10 receivers in the NFL, if you were kind of putting a ranking together. And I do think what he does well complements Josh Allen. And I think there's two things there, I guess I would say. One is that uh, Diggs is like a player who will really separate. I mean, he is a great route runner who will just leave some of the top defensive backs in the NFL in the dust. And so this isn't a guy who it's like, you know, some of the receivers are those contested catch guys or, you know, they they might do other things well, but separation is not kind of their strength. And so there, with those other types of guys, I feel like you need a really accurate quarterback. But I think with Diggs, he's going to separate. Like there, These are not going to be tight window throws that Josh Allen should have to make. It's like get it in the vicinity of Diggs, and he can make, a, he can make those plays. So I think it'll help him there. And then it's what we talked about kind of on the previous question is, like you said, he can absolutely get downfield. I mean, between Brown and Diggs, I, I don't know. I would have to think about it whether there's a better sort of outside wide receiver tandem who can stretch the field 
and make plays vertically. And so we know Josh Allen wants to push the ball downfield. He's not shy about doing that. It's a matter of his accuracy getting better and, uh, you know, the players helping him out a little bit. If sort of both those things, both those things can happen a little bit, then I, I think they can uh, make a lot more plays downfield. Yeah, they're the rare case of an offense that really didn't do much in the offseason to change their personnel, but the, the move that they did make could drastically alter uh, what they do in 2020 and could make them a much better offense. They were you know, bottom half of the league uh, by most measures on offense last year. They bring back just about everybody, but even adding one player like Diggs, it's like they went for uh, the quality of a move instead of quantity. The offensive line could be entirely the same. All five starters are back. Well, you almost assume they'll win jobs given what training camp uh, could potentially look like uh, in the next month. And, And I guess that's, you know, the great unknown uh, with a lot of this and probably a lot of what you're doing as you're previewing the season is, you know, if Stefan Diggs doesn't have what a normal training camp would look like, do you, do you almost have to temper expectations for him or because of, you know, and Josh Allen, I guess, to that regard, or because there's so much continuity, do, would you expect a quarterback like Josh Allen and maybe a team that has the same offensive coordinator and some of the same pieces uh, to be at a slight advantage entering a season like this one. Yeah, I think overall the Bills are at an advantage there. You know, uh, I think what you just uh, mentioned, it's returning uh, potentially 10 of 11 starters. And, you know, the 11th guy you're replacing is with one of the best receivers in the NFL. And just what, you you know, I've been looking at, I think I'm going to write this for The Athletic once I'm done all these. I want to look at all the teams. But, I, you know, I like to look at head coach, quarterback, offensive play caller and defensive play caller, you know, and kind of do a continuity rankings, like where uh, are teams, but the bills have all four of those back. You know, I just did a piece on the, on the Carolina Panthers and they've got four new people in all four of those spots in a shortened off season. Like it, it's going to be really hard for them to succeed in an off season like this. So uh, with that chemistry with Allen and Diggs, yeah. Could that take some time? Absolutely. Could it be a work in progress? Could they look better in the second half of the season? Maybe they, then they do in the first half of the season. Yes, that, that is absolutely the case. But I think overall, when you look at returning both play callers, both sides of the ball, the head coach, uh, most most of the offense and, and really most of the defense. You know, I, I know they've added a bunch of rotational guys and changed up their defensive line, but even a guy like Mario Addison, I mean, you know, that's a veteran who's played in this scheme before. Like, that should not be a hard transition. If Josh Norman, uh, you know, is a starting cornerback, well, he's played in this scheme before. He's played for this coach before. That should not be a difficult transition. So uh, I think a lot of those things uh, are really working in the bill's favor. If it does, um, you know, end up being a shortened off season and they start the season uh, on time or delay it a little bit. And, and certain teams are really affected. I would, I would expect them to be a team that's not as affected as a lot of the others. Yeah. They've got same head coach for the fourth year, same quarterback, offensive and defensive play callers for the third straight year, fourth year, I guess for Leslie Frazier as well. So it's hard to get, more continuity than that i guess there's always the um this is the rare off season where you can 100 percent vouch for continuity and and see the advantages a lot of times i feel like it's 
it's a crutch that um, excuses inaction for for teams is oh we want the continuity which isn't real valuable if the guys aren't any good right but yeah no um, I yeah no I, I totally agree I'm glad you said that because it's like all these tropes that get thrown out every year that's one of them I'm already sick it it hasn't even happened yet but can't you just don't you just know like the coaches when things aren't going well for their teams and they're underachieving are just going to be you know, go get, giving 10 minute monologues about how the shortened off season just absolutely screwed them over. And you know, there's nothing coaches love more than practice time. Like you take, you can do pretty much do anything to a coach. It won't offend them as much as taking away their, uh, their practice time. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not valid. I, I think absolutely with rookies, um, guys changing teams, second year players, but uh, you know, there are just some of these things like, you know, when I covered the Eagles and like Fletcher Cox was missing a spring practice and, you know, people were making a big deal out of it. I'm like, you know, I think when a guy's a Pro Bowl player who's been in the league for like six years, uh, I don't know that, um, you know, those OTAs in April are going to push his game to another level. I know coaches don't like to hear that, but I don't know that that's kind of how I feel. Well, there's part of me too, that's hoping everybody hits the ground running when the season starts and we realize maybe all this practice time was a, a little yeah. bit overkill. You know, maybe these guys get their, you know, get to week one fresh and uh, they just play well. I, I mean, I think certainly you can say about the spring that a lot of that is, um, you know, a little bit of wasted energy, probably teams wanting to, to control their guys and know where they are uh, as opposed to letting them uh, be on their own. But um, you know, the, they might not need quite as much practice as they think, but considering, you know, what training camp might look like, uh, we're going to get a, a good judge of what the extreme looks like, uh, and what, you know, a, a limited amount of practice time looks like. And yeah, maybe, uh, I imagine there's going to be a lot of coaches at the end of the season saying, you know, I think it would be great if we had some continuity going into 2021. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, guys trying to save their jobs in week 11. Yeah, there are going to be some weird natural experiments. I mean, uh, you know, by no means is this a good thing or obviously anything that anyone wanted to happen. Uh, but what you just mentioned, you know, that, that'll be sort of interesting to see how much the lack of practice time affects the product. If, you know, and again, this is assuming that there uh, is a product at some point. And, and then the other thing, uh, that I think will be interesting is sort of the home field advantage aspect of it, you know, without um, fans in the stands or a limited number of fans in the stands, how much does that affect a uh, home field advantage across the league with specific teams? Um, so there's sort of this, these, this weird like data set that will be able to be uh, compiled, unfortunately, with, um, with the circumstances that they could be playing in. Folks, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining. We've had, I think, five straight days of 90 degree weather here in Buffalo. And Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. Not everybody's into the chest shave. You know, sometimes you want to you want to let it grow, but if you're into shaving your chest, this third generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents 
which are right up there with with firework accidents as some of the worst accidents uh, you, you can have around uh, sharp objects. You can also adjust settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Be sure to use their crop cleanser to keep your hair and skin healthy. It's an all-in-one formula, so it's as good or for healthy chest hair as it is for your skin. Imagine that. Inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. Out on the golf course in these these 100-degree days, uh, that's a, a pretty useful stuff to have there. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, a below-the-belt toner that's designed to give you a pep in your step, and smell great. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. And for a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Uh, Those are both strong, strong values. You'd want to those are good additions, two, two good gifts. And you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That code is THEATHLETIC. And so do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code the athletic and don't forget for a limited time subscribers get not one but two free gifts the shed travel bag uh, which i used this weekend 39 dollars value and the patented high performance anti-chafing manscaped boxer briefs so go to manscaped.com today and use code the athletic and even another one that will be will have a very good look at right here in the afc east is quarterbacks changing teams and I guess the way I'll I'll segue into this question, I'll just put you on the spot. Who is going to be the best quarterback in the AFC East now that Cam Newton's in in the region? Mm, that, that's a that's a good question. Uh, who is going? I would say Cam Newton. I think if you're asking me just for the uh, quarterback, you know, and I don't say that with like a great degree of confidence, just because I don't know what his uh, health status is at, you know, how he's going to look physically when he's on the field. But, uh, I don't know. I'm one of the, f- I don't know if it's one of the few, but I still like the bills better than the, uh, Patriots in the AFC East. You know, I, I think Cam Newton is walking into a very challenging situation. I think I just talked about sort of Josh Allen has sort of this is in this great position to succeed. It's almost the opposite in many ways for Cam Newton. Does he have a, a great head coach? Yeah, absolutely. But beyond that, you know, their group of pass catchers, in my opinion, is one of the worst in the NFL. I mean, Julian Edelman's 34 years old. Uh, Mohamed Sanu was injured last year. He certainly can be better. Nikhil Harry, I feel like uh, everybody's expecting him to make this big leap in his second season. Uh, I'm not so sure that's going to happen. Their run game wasn't very good last year. They lost their uh, offensive line coach in the offseason. So uh, I feel like their offense is in a really challenging spot where you know may- maybe Belichick can coach it up. I'm sure he'll do what he needs to do to maximize their talents on offense, but uh, it's not like Newton's walking into a situation that, you know, he's got all these guys to throw to and, uh, you know, not a lot of question marks. So 
uh, I kind I'm still leaning towards the Bills as the favorites in the AFC East. Yeah, I think the it's a, an uncomfortable position in a way for some fans around here to be in. the The idea that the Bills are going to be the team favored and with the target on their backs, but Cam Newton certainly makes it. it it's one of the most interesting divisions in football because the Bills are such a, an unknown. Cam Newton in a normal off season, if he'd gotten there in March and you know worked his way up, you might have different expectations. But there's a lot unknown with him uh, given his health. And then you know this time last year, I bet a lot of people would have been saying Sam Darnold had the Jets in a lot better position than Josh Allen had the Bills in. And yet, um, whether it's due to circumstances or injuries or the roster around them, it, it looks like. The Bills have things on track, so uh, the Dolphins are always sneaky, but it's all of a sudden, after 20 years of just checking the box on that one, when you go through who's going to win each division, now it's a little bit trickier. Absolutely, yeah, and even, you know, I know the uh, Patriots had a fantastic defense uh, last year, but, you know, a lot of the sort of analytics people have done the, these kind of studies that that show that offense is sort of stickier year year over year. So if you build like a really good offense and you don't know, maintain sort of the same coach and uh, same play caller quarterback, like that tends to be good year after year after year. You can really build that way. And defense is harder to do in that respect where, you know, every year and it sort of fits what you think, right? Like every year it feels like a defense comes out of nowhere and is a top five defense and another one that you thought was going to be really good sort of falls out of the top five. So uh, I still think the Patriots are going to have a really good defense. I think the bills are going to have a really good defense, but uh, that's, that's tougher to predict and it might not be, uh, you know, certainly as good. I, I think both those defenses, I, I believe, face the easiest slate of opposing offenses in the NFL. So, you know, that that's something certainly you have to take into account when you're looking ahead to uh, next season. But, I mean, Darnold sort of has had the opposite um, of Allen in terms of his supporting cast, I think. You know, he, he just last year was put in a terrible uh, situation where it was really hard to evaluate him. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not the biggest a Adam Gase guy. So I think they've got, um, definitely the worst coach in the division. And then, uh, the dolphins are, are tough to figure out, you know, they're, they're frisky. I really liked what Brian Flores did last year. Um, but it, it's sort of like they went in full tank mode, got rid of all these players to get a high draft pick. And then this off season, they were the bigger, biggest spenders in free agency. They just sort of abandoned all their patience and some of their moves were, uh, were head scratchers in free agency. So uh, I, I agree with you. It's, it's going to be fun to watch uh, an AFC East without Tom Brady and see how these teams kind of separate themselves. Yeah. That, that's what made, you know, at the beginning of the off season, when people would, would ask about Tom Brady, my, my hope was that he would, leave only to see it only to see you know twofold what he looks like somewhere else and then what the AFC East looks like without him uh, what the Patriots look like without him it creates a much more interesting storyline than the same one we've had over the last three to five years or so of um, you know who deserves more credit and who's going to win out in the power struggle and this and that this uh, t you know turns the page to a, a more interesting chapter of of football for for everybody involved bill belichick tom brady and certainly everybody else in the afc east but i know the bills internally are hesitant to to buy into you know if this were the rex ryan years rex would have <laughs> already you know crowned himself afc east <laughs> champion but 
they're a little bit more hesitant to to dive in and, and claim that you know they they keep going with the company line of until the somebody beats the Patriots it's it's their division and I tend to fall a little bit on that side thinking that you know even in a, a weird off season where they're going to have to potentially break in a new quarterback, uh, it doesn't hurt to have the greatest coach of all time uh, when when you're dealing with the the unique challenges that come with this off season. So it'll be it's going to be interesting to see, assuming we get there. Um, you know whether whether this Bills team can you know has enough. You, you mentioned that the defense is kind of an interesting interesting part of this. Um, because they've consistently been a good group. I would say they topped out last year um, with their best defense under Sean McDermott. But you mentioned that it can be hard to year to year consistently keep that up. Uh, you know, what do you think about the group that the Bills are bringing back again from a continuity standpoint? They've got almost everybody back. Um, you know, they added some new pieces on the defensive line. But what do you think that group can be? Uh, and can they? Can they repeat what they did in 2020? Yeah, I feel like they they project to be, you know, like a top 10 unit. You know, I think if you're looking at some of the um, advanced stats in terms of uh, football outsiders and uh, DVOA, you know, I think the last few seasons, at least in terms of pass defense, um, they were 12th uh, the first year, then second, then fifth. And so... Uh, it's interesting because doing doing all these looks at all the different teams in the leagues, it, different teams in the league, it, it's fascinating to see which schemes are popping up, which trends are popping up. And uh, really a lot of what you're saying is a lot of teams moving towards more man coverage. Like, like the Patriots played a, a high percentage of man coverage. The Ravens played a high percentage of man coverage. And the Bills are a team that, that played a, a high percentage of zone last year when you compare it sort of to the rest of the league you know they mixed it up every team plays both but they were a high percentage zone but they played it really well i think uh they were a top five unit in terms of when they play zone coverage and um you know you know i covered the seahawks previously and they were a big zone team and like one thing i remember from that time is that continuity i feel like really helps when you play zone coverage you know earl thomas would always explain it like we're we all have to be sort of connected by one string where if the corners go in that way and I'm the free safety. I got to lean that way. And, we, you know, everybody's movements have to sort of align so that you're not just leaving these huge voids in zone that, you know, the best quarterbacks in the league are just going to pick apart on a weekly basis. And so I think the continuity there uh, is really actually going to help the Bills. I know they have to figure out sort of one of the cornerback spots for sure, but um, having the continuity in the other spots and knowing sort of their principles, their rules when they're playing zone coverage, uh, I think that's really going to help them. And then the turnover on the defensive line, you know, I, I kind of feel like they got better on the defensive line. You know, they, they lose, uh, they lose Shaq Lawson, they lose Jordan Phillips, but I really like their rotation. I mean, you add Mario Addison, who is still, I think a solid veteran. You add Vernon Butler, uh, Quentin Jefferson was uh, a guy who was in Seattle. I, I was there when he got drafted a really versatile player who can sort of play defensive end on, on base downs can uh, swing inside and be an interior pass rusher. Um, you know, they draft AJ Epinesa. So uh, I feel like they have a lot of bodies there where if, you know, one or two guys goes down with an injury, they're really going to be able to not uh, not fall off dramatically. So uh, I, I like a lot about their defense. Yeah, you know, that's a, an interesting point that you brought up about 
the Seahawks secondary and the need for continuity and that that communication piece is probably a big reason why you know this Bills defense probably doesn't get the recognition maybe that that Seahawks secondary did they don't have a fancy nickname Um, they're not going deep into the playoffs they don't have the maybe the star power but there's also an element of feeling like their success has a lot to do with what they do as a unit you know Tredavious White is a really good corner Uh, if you put him in man coverage all the time maybe he can do the same things but we don't really know Uh, and then Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde kind of similarly you know were miscast out elsewhere but now that they're in year four together, um, have really been hitting their stride, and it helps to have Leslie Frazier there, who uh, you know is is the guy kind of you know calling the shots and communicating everything, and uh, it's a really good group that they built from back to front, which is not typically the way uh, football guys like to talk about building your defense, but you know I think in the age of quarterbacks getting the ball out quickly and and different things like that, there's there's a, a value in having, you know, that, that consistent secondary play. Um, when pass rush, there's a lot of variables that you can't control, um, you know, in terms of whether you get to the quarterback. Yeah, that, that's been another interesting trend. You, you nailed it. We're seeing more teams kind of take this approach of load up on the secondary. Uh, again, the Patriots have done this. They're, you know, they're playing six, seven, eight different defensive backs are playing 200 snaps over the course of the season. Uh, the Ravens played a lot of dime with six defensive backs last year. Uh, I know the Eagles added, tried to add a bunch of versatile guys. They acquired Darius Slay uh, this year. And so uh, you are seeing that in a, in a lot of places uh, where, where teams are saying, you know what, uh, we can, let's build up the secondary and we can kind of scheme up the pass rush. We can uh, put together to put together different blitz packages. We can do different stunts. We can disguise our pressures, do all these different types of things. I've sort of been on the fence whether, uh, you know, this is smart or not smart. You know, I feel like when I was first covering the league, it, it was really, like you said, all about add those pass rushers. It'll make everyone else's life easier. But um, some quarterbacks are just getting so good at getting rid of the football in like two seconds. And so you can have a great pass rusher and you know, he can really be winning his battles consistently and he could still not rack up those quarterback hit numbers, those sack numbers, just because the ball's coming out so quickly or, or teams are moving to these, um, you know, play action bootleg schemes where they're just going in the opposite direction of where your best edge rusher is, or they're doing things, um, you know, with their offensive line or with their chipping with their tight ends and running backs. I mean, it feels like there's a lot more answers uh, to negate a great pass rusher, then it might be uh, a really good secondary. Um, so it, it'll be fascinating to see if we see more teams uh, try to build their rosters this way. And it almost makes, you know, over time, guys like Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, those guys that are on the interior, they have a shorter distance to travel. That's just, you know, math. And so they can win their their matchup and have more control over whether they get to the quarterback as opposed to, you know, the guys that are on the edge. We've seen over the years Jerry Hughes's numbers fluctuate like crazy and his play never really has fluctuated. He's always been a top end pass rusher, but there's so many ways to negate that. Whereas, you know, Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox, those guys can can wreck a game if they're, you know, if they're on point and, and they're winning their matchups. And, you know, the Bills hope that that Ed Oliver can get into that that category for them because you know when you can have 
a guy consistently winning matchups on the interior, that's going to make it's harder for a quarterback to to run away from that or to get the ball out quickly. Those those are the guys that that you're seeing change games more and more. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's why you're seeing their value go up. I mean, I think there's a scarcity of uh, those guys. And uh, I mean, Ed Oliver, man, what a fascinating player for this year. If he can make that, uh, that second year leap, I think it's some of the uh, advanced metrics. Like um, I don't know if you ever look at this, this pass rush win, win rate metric uh, that ESPN uh, puts out, but it's basically, you know, how often does a guy win his pass rush battle within two and a half seconds. And so it, it goes to some of what we're talking about, you know, um, even if the quarterback is on a uh, bootleg or uh, whatever the case may be, um, it tries to kind of take away some of those variables that are out of the pass rushers control. And I think Ed Oliver ranked pretty well in that last year. So, it, you know, that's kind of an encouraging sign that if you have a great athlete, uh, a re- you know, guy who's really quick there, on the interior, yeah, he, he can really um, wreck games. He can really help out the rest of your defensive line and make your pass rush look look really good uh, rather than maybe, um, you know, just one guy on the edge. Yeah, he's he's going to be a key player. He ran hot and cold at times last year, uh, as rookies tend to do. But um, really, if they want improvement in their pass rush, uh, you know, uh, as far as the defensive line goes, uh, they improvement from him is better than any addition, you know, they could have made this off season because, uh, if he's who they think he is, they're going to be in really good shape. One other thing I wanted to ask you, I don't, I, I can't let you go without, you know, getting bills fans all excited about your thoughts on Devin Singletary. You're very high on Devin Singletary and there's probably bills fans getting ready for their fantasy football drafts, wondering how high is too high to take Devin Singletary? Why are you so high on Devin Singletary? What do you expect to see from him in 2020? Yeah, it probably goes back to sort of my prior opinion of him just going into the draft. I I really liked him uh, coming out of college and thought he was going to be a really good player. And then I thought everything he did last year, you know, it was almost better than what I was expecting. So uh, it was interesting diving into the numbers of the Bills run game because if you look at a lot of the overall numbers like i think they were middle of the pack in terms of efficiency but man frank gore killed them last year if you look at it statistically yeah yeah i know you guys i'm I'm sure we're writing about it as it happened i'm getting caught up uh, caught up late here doing this analysis but man if you look at it just in every statistical category like he, uh, among the backs who were actually getting the football, like he was one of the worst running backs uh, in the NFL, which, you know, uh, no one likes to say. I think everyone uh, appreciates what Frank Gore has done throughout the course of his uh, career, said to be a good teammate, all those different types of things. But uh, he was just killing their run game. And, and Devin Singletary, uh, it's always interesting when you have like uh, you can look at two running backs on the same team and compare their numbers, you know, because you're, it's the same offensive line. It's the same play caller. It's the same schemes, all these different types of things. But when you have this very, you know, this sort of disparity in how they performed, uh, it really can tell you a lot. So uh, yeah, Singletary ranked as like a top, you know, 15, top 20 back in all of the um, efficiency metrics you looked at. If you just want to look at yards per carry, 5.1 yards per carry. I I like looking at sort of, um, you know, like the broken tackle rate. You know, I, I, love a running back who can make something happen when uh, you know there's penetration in the backfield or he's one-on-one with a guy at the line of scrimmage and you know he's got to make break a tackle or 
um, you know, be elusive and make a move. And uh, he, his broken tackle rate was sixth in the NFL. So like pretty much every metric you want to look at um, was encouraging for him during his rookie season. And now I just think he's going to get a heavier workload. Frank Gore obviously uh, is not there anymore. And so I would say the only area where uh, I would be, I probably will end up with him on some fantasy teams, but the only area where I would be a little bit uh, cautious about is kind of in the pass game. You know, I think um, when you look at it with, quarterbacks who can scramble really well who can make plays with their legs typically the running backs are not putting up big uh, receiving numbers even if even if they happen to be uh, solid pass catchers so uh, he gets dinged a little bit there but uh, man I, I still like him I think he's gonna you know uh, I don't know what like the uh, Vegas odds say in terms of like rushing champs for uh, 2020 but um, you know if the odds of him are good I think that's sort of uh, an interesting bet I think he'll be in that group of certainly the the top 10 players in terms of rushing yard totals if, if he can stay healthy. Yeah, he's an interesting case because coming out, you know, some of the analytics people use to evaluate running backs weren't super kind to him because he wasn't great at the combine. And, uh, you know, that can be something that people try to project into what type of athlete he'll be in the NFL. But it's about, you know, making people miss, breaking through tackles. Uh, He faced a lot of uh, light boxes last year so we'll see what situations they put him in how they mix Zach Moss uh, into the rotation but it seemed like every time Devin Singletary was touching the ball and you noticed it in the, the playoff game too uh, something good was happening for the Bills so I think he's got a chance to to really be a big part of their offense and the running game has been you know so much dependent on what Josh Allen does over the last few years that if they could have a guy develop into that type of back it could be a huge thing for this offense yeah no doubt about it and also you know the the rushing quarterbacks the guys who are you know you're calling designed runs for they're really a part of the run game it's not like they just scramble i mean really historically that has helped running backs to a a very large degree you know anytime you see it lamar jackson uh colin kaepernick even going sort of further back than that um you know when michael vick was doing some stuff so uh it does go both ways where the quarterback helps the running back and the running back helps the quarterback but uh yeah i mean i've done you know 20 21 of these team guides so far and like, uh, you know, I, I want to do at some point, look at the rosters, sort of take away the quarterbacks and just say, which like roster aside from the quarterback uh, is the best in the NFL. And, uh, you know, when I did the Bills one, I just felt like it was up there, like certainly top 10, maybe top seven or eight, maybe higher than that, where obviously Josh Allen is a question mark. He needs to improve. We discussed that earlier, but when you look at the rest of the roster and, you know, trying to define strengths and weaknesses, uh, there's just a lot I really like about the way they've sort of rebuilt this roster over the last two to three years. Well, I'm sure Bills fans are fanning themselves right now uh, (laughs) over, over what you're saying. And, I feel like I, I should just leave it right there. Let leave people with that that image of the Bills having a, a top ten roster. Who know? You know, everybody knows. It's been discussed ad nauseum about the quarterback and and what happens with Josh Allen. But um, you know, the the way they're building this roster it certainly makes them an interesting team, uh, and and one that uh, perhaps you'll be writing about uh, more often this year. Perhaps one that is. Uh, is worth uh, some national attention uh, from time to time. So, uh, Sheila, can't thank you enough for for jumping on and 
and filling in for Joe. Everybody can follow Shield at Shield Capadia on Twitter. Uh, you can find him on the Athletic on the NFL page. He's been churning out these guides and working through the summer. Um, and you know you can you can find him there. Thank him for coming on. You can rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or any of those. Uh, channels, Stitcher, Spotify, what have you. And you can also follow us on the Athletic Podcast Network. Uh, make sure to rate, subscribe, comment, review, whatever it is you do. You can comment on there and, and uh, tell Joe how much smarter Sheil is than he is um, and uh, and all that good stuff. But Sheil, thank you so much. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, and, you know, hopefully maybe we'll be talking to Sheil again when uh, – when the Bills are potentially contenders in a few months. There you go. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet.